Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking to Anna Trithui and Andrew Cook from Ofsted and we are discussing the rapid review that Ofsted were asked to do by the government into peer-on-peer sexual abuse. We talk about the review how the research that went into it was conducted, some of the emerging findings, and really about what a challenge this is for schools, other people working with young people, and society as a whole to um, really tackle some of the underlying issues here that mean that young people are having some very troubling experiences at the moment. Uh, really grateful to uh, Anna and Andrew uh, for taking the time to to talk us through their work and I think this episode is really interesting and useful particularly for governors thinking um, through these issues and how they can support school leaders in tackling them. As ever this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics the views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Anna Trithui, who is Head of Strategy at Ofsted, and Andrew Cook, HMI and Regional Director Northwest also from Ofsted. Anna and Andrew are talking to us today about the rapid evidence review that Ofsted completed um, on peer-on-peer sexual abuse uh, in response to the Everyone's Invited scandal. Uh, So um, before we go into that, I'll just give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background. So Anna, over to you. Um, As you said, I'm Anna, Anna Trithui, and um, previous background in teaching, research and policy, and now head of strategy over at Ofsted, um, and also uh, lead author on the report in a way that suddenly had to mean that all my life and attention was focused on this in a very short amount of time with an excellent effort and uh, collaborative effort from the team. (laughs) Fantastic, great stuff. And Andrew? Hi, I'm Andrew. Um, I was teacher, head teacher, then joined Ofsted. Um, I'm currently the regional director for the Northwest, which means I have oversight of all of Ofsted's work in, in the Northwest. And uh, uh, I led on on the project and uh, worked very closely with Anna and, and a, a whole host of people from Ofsted to, to get this piece of work done. Great stuff. And yeah, as you said, suddenly um, this report kind of took over your life there, Anna, and this was a very rapid rapid evidence review um, in response to this, frankly, disturbing material that was, that was coming out through Everyone's Invited and this kind of outpouring um, of children's um, and young people's experiences. How did you design, conduct and ultimately deliver such a powerful report at, at PACE? Um, well, I, I'm sure that Andrew will have some thoughts on this, but um, I'll just sort of talk about the rapid review nature of it, if you see what mm-hmm. I mean. we, The government commissioned us to undertake this piece to give a really uh, rapid but good overview of what was happening in schools and colleges. It's a limited review, but what we didn't want is to get a piece that was so drawn out that by the time we published, actually it was no longer relevant or the, or the conversation had moved on. So it was really important that we basically chucked everything to one side, got on with this piece, 
and were able to do something that was high impact in the, in the short space of time that we had. Um, but Andrew, you were there right from the start, pulling together, right, how are we actually going to make this happen? So um, you might want to talk through some of the, the levers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was a very, very busy eight weeks. And um, <laughs> obviously, we, we had some terms of reference from um, that we agreed with the DfE. The, the Secretary of State asked us to do this piece of work. And so we got cracking straight away. Um, I, it, it was a real blend of, of inspectors going out there finding evidence uh, from visits to schools, working alongside a research team, um, working alongside all other teams in Austin to, to, to get this to, to, to work very quickly and effectively. And I think what we needed to do was to go out and get the evidence first uh, and then bring that in and then to really pour all over that uh, and to, to, to th sort of think about well, what, 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 what have we found out from this? And then alongside that, align it to some of the research and, and some of the other things that are out there. We also um, really focused on listening to uh, other key stakeholders in all of this. So we had a reference group that we worked with throughout the whole period. And that was really important because we had representatives from health, from police, from children's services, from people out there who support uh, victims of sexual abuse that we we just engaged with um, and we engaged with academics as well to, to get a, a real sense, not just from our visits, but that much wider source of evidence to, to help inform uh, what ended up being a, a really powerful report. Yeah, and it's, it, I think the, as you say, the speed at which it all moved and then this real feeling that, you know, this, this is a moment that if we don't, if we don't find out everything we possibly can and, and work out what we need to be doing about it, that it, it will somehow slip away. Um, and that, that momentum uh, seems to have been really important in, in, in getting, getting out there to, to schools as well. I certainly, I certainly think it helped us focus uh, on what we could do. And that was really important. Like Anna said, we, we needed to be really clear about what we could and couldn't do with this review. Um, so it was about um, uh, very much about peer-on-peer -peer abuse. It was about what could we find out from visiting um, 32 different sorts of schools. But the other really important thing I think we wanted to, to do was to not have it focused on any one area. So we, we actually visited places right across the country, which again was really important for us so that we could get at the end of it a sense of well, what it's, what's it like for children right across the country, not just in any one particular area like London, for example. And, and can you tell me a bit about, um, you know, engaging the schools, the schools in the in the process? All of the schools agreed to be part of this. Uh, so that was great. We haven't named any of the schools that we visited. And that's that there's good reason to do to do that. Um, so we we first of all select very carefully selected the schools because we wanted to go to some schools that were uh, state schools and some schools that were independent schools uh, that was really important for us as well we went to some primary schools we went to um, secondary schools but we also visited a couple of colleges um, that was also important for us to get that that right we also worked very very closely with the independent schools inspectorate so the independent schools inspectorate will inspect some schools independent schools um, and we worked very carefully with them and some of their inspectors visited with us as we as we went to the schools um, we we talked a lot with inspectors about what to do when they went and 
you know, it was it was really encouraging because schools really did respond in a very positive way uh, and worked with us. And and it was it was great that you know we we found out so much. We 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 spoke to teachers, we spoke to governors, but most importantly, we spoke to young people themselves. And that that was a key thing in in this piece of work. And Anna, throughout the report, sort of you know. Um, punctuated and really with some really compelling things that young people told us uh, as we went in to visit. Yeah, I was just going to say, it is interesting, isn't it? Because obviously um, there was all of this testimony, um, you know, available uh, via via the, the, the website um, as as well. And I wondered if this is the, the first time really that Ofsted have focused so so closely on, on pupil voice and, and pupil experiences because it does really feel like it's at the heart of this review um, I think I think it would be fair to say that Ofsted always takes really seriously what young people tell us uh, and that's on all of our inspections so we will always talk to children and young people when, when we inspect or regulate um, in our social care space for example we also produce a survey every year and, and, and you know I, I was just looking a bit earlier I think we had uh, just over 7,000 responses from children uh, that experience care. So pupil voice means is really important to us. I think one of the things that we found on our visits, which we have done in the past, but we focused on really very much so on these visits, was to talk to single sex groups. And, and I suppose we were a bit nervous about whether or not, you know, young people would want to talk about these things. Uh, but actually they did, and that was... It was it was really good that they did because that really did inform uh, what we found out. So the, it was the single sex group discussions that inspectors had with young people that was was very key to all of this. And we spoke to uh, I think just over nine hundred, and um, we also used some questionnaires with some of those older uh, young people, which again was was really helpful. And, and Anna and and team sort of work through all of those questionnaires um, to find out what the young people were telling us through the answers that they gave us. Is there anything that you want to reflect on there, Anna? Yeah, I was going to say on the um, on the research side of it, we quite often weave young people's voices into our reports on, say, knife crime or um, child sexual abuse in the family environment. And I think being able to tell those stories really brings a, a, a huge amount of power to a piece where what we didn't want to do is come at a piece and say right let's play the blame game right schools aren't getting it right government you're not you know, we need to do it. whatever it is it's like actually the voices that come through here matter and they haven't necessarily been heard in the way that we want them to before we can all collectively do better and it, it, i'm going to tell you a slightly cheesy story andrew i don't know if you know this story but when i was in the middle of doing the review um, I went for a morning walk to clear my head because I knew I was going to sit down and read some quite hard stuff and, and we had been, you know, going through, there was a lot of really hard things to read, Andrew. I mean, not half as hard as people have experienced them, but it was it was really important to read through that and do it justice. And I had this moment where I was looking over the brow of the hill and I felt like I could just see the, see the young people's voices coming up from that hill and I'm like, we just need to put it together into a, a single truth that speaks to all the different audiences that want to do better for young people and children here. How can we do that justice? Um, so it did really feel important to make sure that pupil voice came through strongly. Um, yeah. No, that's a, yeah, and, and yeah, thank you for sharing sharing that. It must have been a really, really difficult job to, um, yeah, feel like you're doing justice to such a, such a huge number of people who've had, who've had really bad experiences. And yeah, it was, 
it was a privilege. It was a tough privilege. Is that how I describe it, Andrew? That sounds like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think it was, I think it, the whole thing just, it just made us, I mean, you know, we, we knew about some of the things that were are going on, but I think it was the fact that there was so much and and you know we we talk a little bit about in the report you know that this is this has become normalized for young people and, and i think the thing that really took um inspectors by surprise was that the fact that young people were so willing to talk about it but they also when they talked about it said but you know nobody really asks us nobody really wants to know this is just how it is mm. um and i think that was that was the thing that struck us most really yeah, that's the, that's the sort of thing that, you know, when you take a step back, just seems so odd that it's it's so widespread and, dis, you know, troubling, but it, nobody seems to be taking enough, enough action or, like you say, um, young people don't report it because they don't think anything is, is going to happen or they're concerned that they're going to get in, in, in trouble. What, what, what are your sort of insights on... On how this situation has has de- developed um, in 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 schools and other settings. Um, I think there's a bit of social media running away with running away with um, that is caught you know it's kind of caught the adults out in this situation and we've left children and young people exposed to risks that I don't think people properly appreciated and there are many professionals that we spoke to it's, it's not like people were totally oblivious there were many professionals we spoke to who said we know like this is the tip of the iceberg this is a real problem and we're glad to be talking about it mm-hmm. so you know props to those professionals working day in day out taking cases and and doing what they need to but there's definitely that moment of how can we all collectively catch up with the harms that are are particularly prevalent around social media pressure to send news being sent explicit material um that you know just uh, have kind of been going under the radar people know it's a problem but actually there is this point in time particularly where there is an extra focus on it and i think you know it's an opportunity not to be missed basically um andrew have you got you got any thoughts about about how there can you know on the one hand there be kind of so much going on but at the same time you know a, a, a need for for more work and and more action I think it, it, it's about, it, I, I suppose what we, we're talking about all of this and we, and we haven't almost defined it ourselves, have we, in this conversation? And, and I think that, that has been, that's part of the problem. And, and when we've gone into schools, we, we sort of found that actually what young people say, what teachers say, what governors say, what parents say, because we spoke to some parents as well, I, you know, everybody's got a, a sort of coming at this from a different angle and perhaps not appreciate a the frequency how much is happening and and also we talked a lot didn't we anna about thresholds yeah. you know what who who defines those thresholds and are the thresholds different for young people because they just have to put up with it it's compared to adults mm-hmm. and do we need to sort of redefine those thresholds particularly for girls mm-hmm. that actually this isn't okay that you experience this mm-hmm. so i think it, it's because because of we use that word normalization nor be normalized because it's normalized so much that it's sort of it's not just it's not even discussed about what actually this is mm. you know and i think that that was what we found when we started to talk to young people we i think inspectors almost um you know because we, we we had some questions that we thought we would ask but i think the conversations just led them into well actually okay if that's what it's like for you tell me a bit more tell me a bit more what does it feel like where does it feel safe in this school? Where do you not feel safe? 
what sort of behavior do you have to put up with you know how do you feel about that behavior so i think for me that it's it's about just it's about having those conversations and i think those conversations will lead to a much better understanding and and, and actually will i think and have already started to lead to to school leaders doing something about that it does sort of seem difficult as well to to kind of grade almost these um experiences and thinking about obviously at the you know at the edges they're tipping over into criminal behaviors um or or, or, or you know ex- experiences where you know a, a criminal prosecution you know could 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 potentially occur and it's sort of how do you have um uh a, a place for children to kind of make you know make mistakes and and learn at the you know and and establish healthy behaviors with, without them getting to these other points and if you if everything is driven underground and nobody in you know talks about anything that's happening you know you, you can kind of see that's where things snowball and spiral into the into the more extreme end if that makes any sense at all <laughs> does it really does actually and we were very keen particularly amanda you know when we started this report it's not about criminalizing young people it's really not about um just telling them when they're wrong and punishing them it's it's a much more of an educative and and cultural piece um you know at the front of the report we've got hackett's continuum of harmful sexual behavior and and included in that is normal behavior and then problematic behavior and things can quite easily slide between those two and like you were saying andrew that bit about culturally how do we educate our young people to figure out what's acceptable and what's unacceptable and in some cases actually the professionals that work with them because some of them found it hard to to kind of define some of those behaviors um so it's a kind of upping of people's game and being able to think about well obviously there is a real spectrum here and there are you know the kind of sexual violence end is totally unacceptable and require a very strong safeguarding response and that's not to minimize the other end it's it's how can you kind of think about early intervention that may well then prevent some of the things sliding into much more harmful behavior and help young people have much healthier interactions with each other and and the adults in their lives yeah i think i think what we found was that when when there were um incidents which involved having to work with other agencies working with children's services reporting to the police schools were were doing that it, it's it's this other stuff that that's going on all of the time that actually it, it wasn't happening and i think it, it was interesting because lo- lots of girls told us that they didn't want boys to get into trouble about this what they wanted was boys to understand what their behavior was may how their behavior was making them feel which I, which I thought was really interesting that that came across i think quite crossly uh, quite quite strongly sorry um uh, probably quite crossly as well, uh, quite, strong, quite <laughs> yeah. strongly in, in some of the discussions with with girls. So um, I think that that's that's I thought that's you know a, quite a compelling argument. I think that we must definitely say that these you know there is wrong here, hmm. you know, a, and that is part of the other problem because we're not saying it's wrong sometimes when it definitely is. Yeah, there was that line, wasn't there, from one of the girls we interviewed, which is, it shouldn't be our responsibility to educate boys. Sure. Yeah. That was really yeah. helpful. And just a point on language here, Caroline, as well. We're obviously talking about single-sex groups, boys and girls, and there are a lot of assumptions packed in there. Now, evidence is that girls disproportionately experience this kind of behaviour, um, and that obviously it has a, a very detrimental impact on them. Where we could, where there were groups of LGBT plus students who were willing to speak to us, 
we absolutely did speak to them and just kind of factored that into the lens through which we were looking at this issue broadly as well um it's it's one of those ones where you want to tread carefully be really sensitive to what's already set up in the school but um it was very important to us that we kind of factored in that into our thinking um and actually in fairness there was quite a few groups quite a few schools that did have um, lgbt plus groups that were willing to chat to us and that that did help as you can imagine those groups were reporting similar you know similar rates of, of um incidents in the way that girls were um and talked about feeling very un like quite un physically unsafe in the school as well which was which was sad to hear but good to be able to talk about in the report yeah and it's it's um I mean, we we had a conversation on the, the podcast um a while back with um with stonewall and, and and one of the things kind of coming through in that is um young people who maybe don't feel like they they fit in with what the girls are doing or the boys are doing um, presumably yeah particularly in regard to um you know some of this early sexual activity and things then you know then feeling very left out and kind of you know um you know subject to bullying and 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 those sorts of things and it, it i think it is think in, you know what what um is very clear is the the ways in which um the genders interact or language mm -hmm. some of the things that you know can be perceived to be quite small and not not as important as obviously the stuff that we're talking about at the far end of the spectrum are so important um for for, for building a foundation around what is what is good and healthy behavior and what what is what is troubling and making people feel included in the school community and so obviously there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of action and there's a lot of need to take action coming from this piece but how, how do we make sure that that, that the people really really do sweat the small stuff that's a really good question um so i think there is a an, an education piece to help professionals um think really carefully about how they go around this space so sexualized name calling was one of the biggest things that girls said they experienced frequently um and at school as well you know so the kind of the, the physical abuse and, the, and sexual violence and that scale tended to happen outside of school, as you can imagine. But sexualized name calling is happening and happening a lot in schools. How do teachers create, create an environment where that's not acceptable? Um, and I think a kind of piece around language, inclusive language, is really important to set the tone and the culture and expectations in your school environment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of agree completely with Anna, Anna there, really. It, it is about sort of as a as a school a school um, any provider just needs to needs to understand what, what they think is right what's wrong we talk about we talk a lot about culture so culture isn't something that just changes overnight it it starts <laughs> off by actually identifying what it is you want to achieve what what you know about it um and then moving on from there so i i think we need to allow um schools and colleges now to, to take steps to try and change culture and that means first of all finding out like i say what they what they believe it's all about but actually to, listening to young people but then to, to to set some real boundaries down and and to to do the things that they know that will make a difference and, and i think i think you know we we've talked in the report about things like designated safeguarding needs needing more training or the governors needing training and um, all of that needs to happen as part of that cultural shift and I think we're beginning, we have seen a positive response to all of that in schools already. Yeah, we really have. It's good. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's 
it's easy to to get caught up in that that mindset that sort of says oh language is such a minefield uh you know we, we you know the, the 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 sort of opinions about these things you know change change frequently or you're always going to get something something wrong um or, or you know you say something and, and and somebody complains and some you know and, and people kind of get get a bit like that about it sometimes um and it, it like you say there is something about about how how to um, to do this sort of slowly but clearly, and setting out where where your end where your end goal is, and it not it not being about kind of pedantry and drafting, but you know everybody getting behind a, a vision for an inclusive, safe environment, isn't it really? It is. I think I think schools are also sort of obviously because we picked up on this around RSC PSHE they're also taking this as an opportunity to stop and pause and think, actually, have we got this right? You know, is the content of our curriculum in RSHE and PSHE right? And are the people that are teaching it, the people that are trained to do so, you know, do they feel comfortable um, actually teaching teaching these things? Because I think we found that that lots of schools were telling us that actually that wasn't happening. No, and, I was, and similarly, I think with the, the you know the children, and young people themselves, saying we we kind of know we know when it's an extra, and they're a bit resentful about delivering stuff. And not only does that have the unintended con, well, not only does it have the consequence of that bit of the curriculum not being delivered that well, which is less than ideal, but it also means that children were less likely to talk to those adults when there was a problem for them. So it's it's kind of a double double whammy, and and it's hard for schools, right? We we're just coming out of the end of a pandemic. Hopefully, let's see what winter holds. But um, a lot of time and headspace that would have gone in planning RSHE has had to go on creating risk assessments and all sorts. So we we understand that these are less than ideal circumstances for people to be able to plan this stuff. Um, at the same time, really carefully thinking about how you implement the intent of your RSHE curriculum, because you can have the best intentions in the world, but if somebody only gets to, you know, the, the resources as they're walking into that form time or whatever it might be, and they don't have the confidence, you're probably going to do more harm than good. So it's really carefully thinking about for you and your setting, what are the right ways to go? It may well be that you have a core of teachers that feel confident and have additional training. And then there's additional resources that are less risky and less sensitive that are delivered through teachers who aren't specialists. But it's there there's, isn't one right way to do this. But what's been heartening, we were, Andrew and I were chatting earlier, is that we are already seeing bubbling up from inspections but, and also more general conversations with um, schools and trusts, a real appetite to do this better. Um, and that that feels really valuable. I was speaking to a head teacher the other day. He said, "What what will you expect to us to have done by the, if you come in and inspect <laughs> inspect in September?" Well, first of all, school shouldn't be run on the basis of of Ofsted coming. That's you know that's that's the first thing. But actually, you know, we all need to be realistic here. This this isn't something you know. This is a big change, mm-hmm. uh, a big a big challenge really. And and you know, I, I keep using that word culture deliberately because actually. You, you don't do that by just doing a list of actions mm-hmm. and, and and I think that would be that would be wrong if it just ended up with well we're going to think, talk to single sex groups in July every year you know we're going to reshape our SHE curriculum and, and, and we'll do a bit of training it's got it's got to be something that's sort of organic um, mm-hmm. and completely um, informed by what young people are saying mm-hmm. so we, we, we had a, a long hard look at ourselves through all of this and also um i talked a little bit earlier about the independent schools inspectorate we had a look at their training 
their evidence bases from some of the inspections and we did the same for ourselves and i think one of the things that we realized was that under the current um, education inspection framework which started back in um, september 2019 we've been asking schools and colleges for evidence of of what they're doing about sexual abuse you know evidence of records and analysis of that and and what we found was is that actually we were not getting an awful lot back from schools now what we need to be better at and what we worked hard on over the summer and trained inspectors to do was say is actually no if you don't get any response to that question well then you need to dig a bit deeper why is that what have you done um what 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 are you doing to make sure that you you're not missing anything really so that's been a, that's been uh, quite a lot of work that we've done and, and inspectors will be doing that now and i'm hearing that already that inspectors are out there asking those additional questions digging a little bit deeper as well um we talked a little bit about some of our our frameworks that's that's the you know the, the things that we work to that just to make it really really clear that that you know all of this is covered across all of our different inspection types so we've worked hard on that as well and just refreshed everybody and actually we, we've set up a whole load of training just on our findings from this review which you know all inspectors have gone through um just a, a couple of weeks ago so it, it was it we, we've learned from this as well and, and hopefully we will be able to actually scrutinize look in a little bit more deeper listen to children a little bit more about all of this as well exactly and as you as you say really emphasizing the kind of the team effort and the need for for, for, for all aspects of the system to, to, to work together to Im improve the experience and it and it not being about um, quick quick fixes or or tick boxes um, that you know it, it has to be a, a, a much more gradual evolving approach than and feedback with the young people being being really key there. Um, and, and and obviously, you know, as we've we've touched on there, you 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 know inspect inspect schools, but you have a much broader role and, and remit around around keeping young young people safe. Uh, the the report itself, really, you know, fo focuses a lot on on you know school culture and young people's experiences in and around school. Um, it, has there been any kind of um, sentiment that you know? schools schools find this hard to, to manage because although as we said some of the activity happens in school some of the lower level stuff presumably that that, that quite a bit of this happens in times and, and places out outside of their control particularly the kind of technological um, aspect to it and, and children having been out of school um, for, a, for a chunk of time with uh, with lockdown etc what 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 can we think about to improve the experience for young people there this is a so this is quite a difficult territory for schools to navigate because obviously you know if there's a safeguarding incident that they're made aware of then they need to refer it and go you know work with the appropriate um safeguarding partners to to make sure that that gets investigated but something that we highlighted in the report it's not all schools but i'm sure there are leaders out there listening to this podcast who would be nodding their heads because very often the fallout of those investigations are left at school gates, even when they've not necessarily happened on their premises. Um, and that's really hard to navigate as a school leader, actually. So don't necessarily talk about unresolved allegations because, you know, the, the police will always see an allegation as being resolved. Either it's prosecuted, leads for prosecution or it doesn't. But there might be circumstances where there's insufficient evidence for them to be able to pursue a prosecution. 
But for the well-being of both of those children, you need to separate them. There's kind of much bigger implications about how you manage that, especially if you're in a small school with limited ability to shuffle children around classes. And quite often head teachers talk about being in quite a lonely place when they're having to make those decisions. Now, for them, I would really recommend that they, as much as they can, you know, work with the local safeguarding partnership and just make sure that they're getting the resource, speak to other groups of heads. But that's not really good enough. So one of our recommendations was that there's better guidance from the government about how to deal with these situations. It's not an easy one. And, I, you know, there's, there's never going to be a one size fits all for this. But it's not OK for school leaders to be left in a situation where essentially they're having to deal with the fallout of those situations that have happened outside of school, but are very much within the school gates in terms of how it's disrupting learning. Um, so yeah, that that I think I'm glad you've raised that because it was one where we were like, this is a wider system problem, and that you know similarly to the to raising that there's an online safety bill that the government are putting through at the moment and making sure that that really does scrutinise the role of social media companies. I'm delighted to say that keeping children safe in education has already been updated with some of the recommendations that we made in the review. So you know change change is happening and that feels really positive. Um, there are still some gaps that I think that could be better addressed. The, the fact that some of these interactions are happening with children at the same school, but as you say, like over social networks or not necessarily in school time might be might be one of the reasons why actually children are are reporting fewer, you know, in, linked into the other reasons why they're not re- reporting yeah. it as, as well. But as you say, it all it all carries over and carries on. And, you know, none of these things sit sit neatly something i'll say on that as well you know we're talking about sweating the small stuff there's something around culture and tone that is really important here children and the young people like all humans make mistakes and it's really important to let them um understand that they will not get in like basically if you've been pressured to send a nude and you've sent it on or even if you sent it on anyway what you don't need to hear from the school is it's your fault why did you share it we told you not to do it now, obviously, you do want a, a, an environment where you're saying to children, this is against the law, really don't want to see this, this are the implications of it. But at the same time, everyone makes mistakes. And if there are things that have happened, just come and talk to us about it. The door is open. And trying to get that balance is really important. And I think trying to get away from a bit of victim blaming here matters. And uh, I spoke to a school, you know, a multi-academy trust yesterday who was saying, we encouraged our young people to come forward and talk to us about stuff. And my goodness, did they want to talk? <laughs> like we had a massive spike in um, in people coming to talk to us about abuse. And it just enabled us to have better conversations about what was okay and what wasn't. But it is very much about setting the environment where people feel that coming forward won't lead to things that either damn what they have done. And obviously there will be times when, when uh, sanctions are required, if that's the appropriate response, but that, in, in that very initial reaction, people feel heard, they feel understood, and that they know that there will be a supportive adult that understands and, and is able to talk them through what might happen next. And working with that young person, whether or you know, whichever bit of this they are part of, to understand, sometimes you know, perpetrators are bringing harmful sexual behaviour because they're experiencing themselves. That doesn't mean that there won't be sanctions involved necessarily, but it just means initially, listening and coming with a non-judgmental eye and then thinking about well, what support do all parties involved need here. Sometimes that might be a behavioural response. Sometimes that's actually a safeguarding response too. Um, Having been ahead, it's it's always a challenge to deal with things that you sort of, you know, you know, didn't start 
inside school and were often finished outside school as well. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, that what young people and children are experiencing um, outside of school, and we know we know that lots of this is is taking place outside school. And and the fact that it's digital, there's a sort of there's no sort of geographical boundaries to that anyway. It's just you know wherever. Um, inevitably, that impacts on young people uh, and children. And, and that's that's who they are, and they bring themselves into school with those experiences. And, and, and I think, as, as Anna's just said, you know, schools need to be that safe place where they can talk about how they're feeling, because inevitably, um, schools do have a responsibility to care for children. They do that really well. But, you know, this is this is some this is yet another thing. Yeah, yet another thing that schools need to do. But I think mm -hmm. actually it's it's inevitable because it's there is so much of it that that we need to talk about this more. Um, and I think talking about it is really, it's really encouraging to hear about uh, about the mat and, and what they've been doing, because I think that will inform a much better way of keeping children safe and, and actually role modeling what is what is right. And, and I think that's another thing that we talked about, you know, staff, governors, you know, all staff, all governors, uh, you know, the school culture needs to role model what, how, you know, what what is the right thing to do and um, so that girls and boys can see that and typically as well young people talk to their peers first they talk to their friends yeah. and and if they're getting a response that's laden with shame and embarrassment and oh god don't tell anyone nothing will happen anyway that's never going to engender the kind of trust and, and culture that that you want so yeah it's it's there's many layers to this onion let's be honest caroline but um but yeah it's huge and i think that's the the the, the, the trouble is often we kind of um compartmentalize by by subject you know different activities that happen in the school be they pastoral academic uh, what mental health whatever but you know you're dealing with a whole child uh, and a whole young person and if if one of these horrendous things has happened to them that's going to impact on on all aspects of what they're doing so um yeah it's it is you know i think as you say it's um it's a big it's a big issue that has you know sort of um and and i think this the speed of this 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 piece and the response to it, obviously um people suddenly feel like oh it's a new and another thing um, but but it is much more fundamental in, in, in lots of ways as we're discovering. And you, you mentioned uh, there how, how you know um, how some of the schools have, have, have been thinking about what they what they might do and, and some of the implications in, in terms of um, updating, um, keeping children safe. Um, how, how how you know in, in your conversations um, with, with schools, how have you been finding that it's been going down and 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 thinking about these kind of practical steps that schools um, might want to start taking to tackle these issues? Is there anything that that either of you want to to offer offer there for people thinking right? What, what am I actually going to start to do? So so I think it, it, it's going back to this that you know this is a big challenge. It's not going to be solved by a tick list, but it is going to be solved by by finding out more and 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 starting to to plan out what 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 to do. I think it's it's really refreshing to hear school leaders say, actually, you know, we we think this is important and and we want to do something about it. I think that's that's really really the sort of overwhelming response that I've been picking up from from school leaders and college leaders. So that that's great. Um, I think. I think they've began to look at the way that they identify and support uh, young people and children and, and the way that they listen. We, we, we sort of found out that sometimes, 
you know, if there was a person that, you know, children had or young people had to report to, and then they were also in the leadership team, that, that made it quite difficult. Um, and we found some good practice. I know where schools were having groups of staff that were, you know, had been trained to, to listen to young people and children. And so it's, it's things like that. So to make it easier for young people to talk about it and to report things is, is, is a key thing. Talked a bit about RSHE, PHSE. Um, that, that, that is a good thing to look at to see whether that's right. Um, we've, we're hearing a, a number of schools and colleges starting to talk to single sex groups, and I think that's that's important as well. And I think they're they're hearing, you know, what young people are telling them. And and I think it's just getting. I mean, it's early days, but then that's getting back to senior leaders who are saying, okay, this is this is now we're getting a better sense of of what our our children and young people are experiencing. Um, and, and what do we do next? I think that's how you change culture. It's it's, and I think that's that's good to hear. I suppose I would say we we've talked a lot about schools. This is colleges as yeah. well, uh, and colleges bring a different set of challenges. And it's also not just secondary schools; it's primary schools. You know, we talked to, we found out about some of the nude pictures and things. You know, children in in the latter years of primary schools beginning to to do things like that. So. You know, this is about starting starting early, making sure that we we understand that this is a a, a problem for uh, children of all different ages. Anna, was there anything you wanted to add there? Um, I think it's uh, schools are subject to all sorts of political, you know, it can be a political football sometimes, and and not dissimilar to us sometimes. Um, Andrew, Ofsted can be the answer to everything, and schools can be the answer to everything, and sometimes. It's a bit more complicated than that. And actually, the things that Andrew's talking through, I think, are really sensible, practical ideas. There's something about having a bit of a pause before you leap in as well, being like, what do we actually want to achieve here? Can we talk to anybody else who's doing this well? We had a few a few requests for, could we release the um, survey that we did with young people? And, and actually, we, we thought long and hard about that, but it didn't feel right to basically release something that actually people hadn't had the training around so there's a bit there's a step before that about if you are going to listen to people voice which we really do recommend think carefully about building those trusted relationships and how sensitive the information is before you dive in so we didn't just want to kind of give an off the peg here you go here's what you do i mean to be honest you can see some of the questions we've asked in the report anyway um but i'd i'd, I'd encourage that kind of quite long hard think about making sure it doesn't just become a well, this is the next thing to do so we'll do the training on that and then it's done it's um it's a really sensitive piece and if you do it well the gains are there to be had and they're massive mm. uh, yeah and we did talk to local safeguarding partners and, and, and i know that we talked about like a uh, training for designated safeguarding leads and i i haven't heard much of that yet but I'm, I'm sure people are working on that as well so it is about working you know schools and colleges working with children's services working with the police working with all those other agencies that are out there who who are out there to support children and, and keep children safe as well I, I think the i think the other thing for me is which is is important to mention we talked about that continuum and and we talked a little bit about you know that we know where schools had to engage with other agencies that was happening some of the the other stuff at the other end of the continuum it sits probably very firmly in, in sort of behavior and, and how do how do schools use behavior policies um we looked at the number of exclusions that were that were being given out for for this area and found very few so you know i think schools need to think a little bit about how do they again role model show 
show what where where their thresholds are for for behaviour, um, and and inspections will pick that out. You know how how are schools managing behaviour in, in the school? What what are they helping children and young people to see is is the right behaviour and the wrong behaviour? Yeah, it's really interesting. It just occurred to me as you were talking there, Anna, because you know it it's all very well to think yeah people people voice, but particularly if you if there's been a situation where people haven't been reporting and they haven't been sharing this information with staff up to this point, how do you make sure that, you know, you ask in the right way to get at some of that stuff? And equally, you know, focusing yeah. your attention in the behaviour space, if, if this, if, you know, if you haven't been doing this up to this point, like what, what have you been missing um, in, in some ways? And it, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a tricky problem that, that definitely requires um, careful, careful thought and, 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 and it, you know, it'd be helpful to see people share practice as, as people develop their strategies. Mm-hmm. Ask a question about governors um mm. as as kind of stakeholders in this process is there anything is there anything that that governors should particularly be looking out for um i think we say don't we in our recommendations that there should be training to ensure that governors are sort of better understand what this is all about mm-hmm. um we also talk a little bit about identifying early signs of peer-on-peer sexual abuse i i think i think for me the role that governors have to play in all of this is 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 one know what this is all about know what your school in school or college is doing in response um support where you can um and ask those ask those critical questions to 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 know how school leaders college leaders are thinking about changing uh, changing a culture so governors play a really important role in that but it's it's often by asking those questions um pertinent questions that help to inform discussions help to mold discussions as well and there's also there's something else about um, how to make sure that there are the structures in place around the staff who work in this in this field to give them enough support and professional learning. So as a governor, I'd really want to know how the well-being of staff is being managed, how they are part of wider professional networks that help them and their understanding, because this is really heavy stuff. You know, so, for example, one of the visits that I shadowed, there was a DSL who'd been there till nearly 10 o'clock the night before helping with a different safeguarding issue, which wasn't related to the um, review, but highlighted, you know, just how, just how much of her life goes into the job. And I think as a governor, helping the support structures around those professionals who do this day in, day out. And actually, it's a really hard piece of work and and, um, and requires proper support. So as a governor, I'd, I'd want to make sure that yes there was really thoughtful and careful work going on and 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 kind of hold the school to account on that but then also the wider piece of of how are staff getting the support they need to because that's critical otherwise people just burn out we need we had, to, we, had to, we had to do that with our own team didn't we anna because you yeah. know we, we we looked we had part of the team looking at the testimonies on everyone's invited website you know inspectors out there hearing hearing some tough tough things and and actually it is important that you know we that, that we were looking out for our own t- team as well yeah yeah everybody everybody needs to de- decompress and and deal with these these things and uh, yeah as, as you say it's, it's really important to think about about staff staff welfare in that as well and anything that either of you would like to share with our listeners in closing oh I think I'd probably just reiterate what we said, which is 
pause and have a proper think and a proper look before you dive into action because this is a really important area to do in a sustained thoughtful and meaningful way um, and I'm sure plenty of what we've said school leaders out there and governors will already be very familiar with um, so what's the next small step you can take it doesn't all have to be tackled at once totally agree and I would just um, encourage people to to keep listening to children and young people that's mm -hmm. that's the thing that was the most compelling evidence for us um, so listen to them talk to them ask them questions and and keep doing that so to check whether things change to check to see whether things improve exactly so well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and thank you very much for listening Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at keysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.